And a very good morning to you. Time for our Friday chat with our African futurist and director of value creation. Creation. I mean, it's a Friday, so I don't pronounce things so lekker. Uh, she's the director for value creation at Gibbs Business School, Dr. Rose Phillips. And we normally talk about the forces and the trends that shape our future. What are those trends, right? So, and, and why should they matter to you? And she also recently started that website I told you about. It's Rose with a Z, uh, rosephillips.com. You can check it out. And today we are going to be talking about leaders are from Venus, employees are from Mars, are leaders out of touch when it comes to the experiences of the employees. Now, Rose, how do you seriously expect to have a half an hour discussion on a rhetorical question? Hello, Kino. Hello, listeners. Hello, hello, hello. Yeah, I know. We're doing a little bit of leader bashing today. It's not... <laughs> but it's yeah. a, I think it's an important, listen, it's an important question to ask. And I just go back to that CEO. Uh, it was mentioned yesterday with Barbara Friedman, um, you know, when she, she talks about the trending stories, the CEO who made the minimum wage 70,000 US dollars, and everybody took him on. Do we have it again, Joe? I think it's worthwhile playing it for us. No, we don't have it. Anyway, um, and uh, you know how clever these media people are. They think they know everything. Um, and they were all going, um, oh, this guy's a socialist, and da 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 and he quadrupled his net worth. As a result of that, because he got people that um, could actually, you know, more people started having kids, uh, people started, you know, being able to do more in their lives, and they gave back to the business, really. Uh, but it's not always just about money, is it? No, no. But but what I really wanted to double click on, using the language of double clicking again, you <laughs> took me on about that last week, um, was uh, oh, there was recently a, a work trend index report launched by Microsoft. Yeah. And um, and this index report is done after they interview about 30,000 employees in 31 countries. And they do that interview um, or that, that survey, it's not an interview, sorry, it's a survey from January 12 to January 25 in 2021. And, and here's the interesting thing. 61% of leaders say that right now during this COVID time and mm. remote work and all of that stuff, yeah. right now they are thriving. 61% of them are thriving. They're reporting strong relationships with colleagues, 11% more than other employees. They're reporting strong relationship with leadership, 19% higher than other colleagues. Um, and, and they're reporting a much higher likelihood that they will take all of the leave days that are allotted to them, 12% higher than everybody else. And of course, when you look at that, look at who these people are, they're most likely the millennials and the Gen Xs. So they sort of 40 ish upwards. They are information workers and, and they're further along in their careers. Mm. And of course, this is fantastic news. I'm a leader, so it's great to know that at the leadership level, people feel that things are in control and, and they are thriving. However, for the rest of the employee universe, those that are without the same level of decision making authority, which is generally sort of the Gen Zs, more younger people, women, frontline workers, and, and those that are new in their careers who have just changed a job. For those people, only 50% of them are thriving. And that's a 23% difference. In fact, 54% of employees, over half that was interviewed or, or were surveyed, mm. said that they feel completely overworked. And close to 40% of that group said that they are feeling completely exhausted. So there is a complete yeah. disconnect between how leaders are perceiving their own work environment and potentially then thinking 
that everybody else's experience is the same. And I've got some stats that demonstrate that employees aren't lying when they say this. Um, uh, there was some work done. You know, obviously, most people are on Teams or they are on mm. Zoom or they are on WebEx. So Microsoft is the Teams guy. So they've just done a little bit of work to see, okay, what does it say? Yeah. And time spent on Microsoft Teams is more than doubled globally exactly. uh, since before, from before COVID. The number of emails delivered to educational institutions and commercial customers of Microsoft increased, you know, by 40 billion. 40 billion. Um, And the communications between people are completely unstructured. 60% of the calls are completely unscheduled or are conducted ad hoc. So you're not prepared for it. It's not in your schedule. You didn't plan for it. It takes time from something else. Mm. And, and despite that pressure, people still respond on chats. 50% respond on chats in less than five minutes. So they're basically sitting at their screen. Responding, they're responding, oh. they're responding. So oh, it's true that the intensity of our work day and, and what is expected from employees during this time has increased significantly. So it's not surprising that people are saying that they are overworked. It's not surprising that people well, are saying that they are exhausted um, but leaders aren't necessarily, and I'm I'm a leader, so I'm not I'm not doing a finger point here. But you but, should. Um, there's something missing. There's Why something aren't you pointing missing. fingers? You should point fingers. We need more leaders no, to but, point fingers. Yeah, we must be sorry about pointing finger fingers. Four, <laughs> you know, when you point fingers, three of them point directly at you. Well, then you must work on the other three fingers. <laughs> 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 Doctor Rush Phillips. Yeah. I guess I, I'm listening to what you're saying. It's fascinating, right? But I mean, how many leaders actually, number one, care? And if they kind of did care somewhere down there, how many of them actually appropriately try and find out how their staff feel? Number one, yeah. I mean, not many of them do that, right? So they more worried about their bonuses and about their own career and about making targets because, you know, there's a board that's chasing all of that and they worry about that. And, oh, by the way, the workers. Um, the other thing is, do you blame workers? Because of the tough financial times, I'm sure they get told how much pressure companies are under and how mm-hmm. potentially there could be, um, you know, retrenchments, et cetera, et cetera. And this plays in the back of a worker's mind. So while they're sitting behind that computer and the request comes through, they don't want to be seen as the weakest link and eventually the first out. Um, so they do overcompensate and, you know, become part of all of these because there's a fear of losing. You hear stories about other people losing their jobs and struggling, you know, to make ends meet and all the rest of it. So, and the, so there's the power dynamic which comes into play. And I mean, I, I basically tell people to bugger off. I don't, if, 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 if your work time is nine to five, and you, unless it's really, really important and you've been looking after me and you need a little bit of help from me, I'll help you. But if you've been a, a, a doofus and now all of a sudden at five past you want to have a meeting with me, you know, I, I, I'll say, well, we can do that tomorrow because I'm busy with the kids at the moment or something like that. Yeah, well, and, and as you quite rightly say, you have the you have the way with all to say that, and you have a backup mm. plan if need be, mm. and and you know your worth, right? You mm. know your worth, oh, yeah. so you you don't allow for that to happen. 
But I don't want to be too hard on, on leaders necessarily because it's not everybody can be tarred sure. with the same brush. I do think you're right when you say that the, the leadership agenda has up until now remained short term, right? Let's make the short term numbers, sell more product, talk to more customers. And that's what drives success. And we know that that mm. drives short term success, but it doesn't drive resilience and you can thrive, but if your employees don't thrive because they are the ones that are selling the product, you're just you're not going to have a thriving organization. You're not going to have a learning organization. You're not going to have a growing organization. You're not going to have an innovative organization, just as simple as that. But then people think that they have the answer. And this is sort of where I want to sort of intervene a little bit and say you don't necessarily go straight to the solution. And you'll begin to see that a lot of the solutions that leaders are putting on the table is really around, okay, we must make remote work better. We must um, provide more flexible ways in which employees can work because they don't understand that this is, I mean, they know that this is something that they need to do something mm. about. So it's not that they don't want to, they just don't know how, number one, and they mm. don't know if it's going to be successful. And so I want to say to leaders, just stop. And yes, of course, you, question number one, how are you doing, employees? How are you doing? What do you need? But don't go straight from there to who will be able to work remotely? Who must come into the office? Mm. Um, what schedule do we have? Actually spend a bit more time on the question, how are you doing? Amen you, know, um, you, you know design thinking, you know, design mm. thinking is really about empathy with the employee, uh, ideation, experimentation, and then implementation, right? And yeah. we don't spend enough time truly really understanding what goes on in the lives of employees. If we did, we would actually realize actually us thriving is not enough for, for the rest of the organization yeah. to, to drive um, positive results in the short, medium, and in the long term. Yeah, because I, you need well employees to do that. I'm thinking about going to war. And excuse the language, but pissing off all your soldiers before you go to war. And then you want them to have your back. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Some of them yeah. are more likely Absolutely. to take and go, oops, I missed. I didn't know. There was a heavy breeze. <laughs> I, did not see yeah. the, I did not see the general standing in the way. Um, I do apologize. And, and this, yeah. is, this is the thing, right? I think a lot of – and we shouldn't call everybody leaders, right? We can call some people managers and other people leaders. Um mm -hmm. Some managers don't understand that if you actually, it's like most other things. How do you make other people feel when they work with you? Right? It's a core question. How do you make other, you can't keep everybody happy, but you have to ask, how do you make other people feel? What are the things that will make them feel better? But you can't do, we are talking about impeccable knowledge and integrity. Dr. Dr. Rose Phillips. Um, now, Dr. Rose Phillips talking to us about this gap between it's a perception, not a perception gap. It's an understanding gap between, you know, leaders or managers and staff. And you were telling, if we can just go back, you were telling them to stop. Ask, don't just ask the question superficially. Understand what lies behind the human being. What are the, the, the pressure points that affects this human being's response within your organization because you cannot diverse, divorce private life from work. Yes, that's exactly right. And, you know, Kino, we always want to, certainly from my side, want to provide some guidance and some thoughts mm. for leaders that they can incorporate into their their organizations, because ultimately, as a leader, you shape the culture, you shape the future yep. with employees. And if you yep. don't, um, if you don't have the right 
role modeling. You don't um, lead by example. Mm. You, you could take the organization down the wrong path. Mm. So, so what's missing, as I say, don't go straight into solution mode. Spend a little bit of time thinking. And, and I want to talk about psychological safety. Mm. Because why do we not know sometimes that our employees are not thriving? Why do we assume that, uh, that they are as fine as we are as leaders? We are 61% thriving and they are at 30% thriving and 39% of them are completely exhausted. And for me, one challenge and the main reason why intelligent leaders live in such a different world from the employees is, is the lack of psychological safety. And I know we don't have that much time, so I'm going to go straight. No, into no, we, we 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 have time if you have time. But I mean, I'm I'm, okay. I'm respecting your time, right? So, go okay, for it. all right. So now let me let me probably just set this up properly because it's mm. quite important that we understand what we are talking about here. Yeah. So, uh, so it's psychological safety that I think is missing because even if you ask the question. You were saying yourself, you know, people mm. might not actually acknowledge that they are struggling because they think the only way to survive in the workforce is to just do what you need to do, even if it kills you. So no one's speaking up. And you mm. can ask as many questions as you like, but if people are not going to speak up, you are not going to get to the bottom of what really needs to change in your organization. And you're going to be living in la-la land, as it were. Yeah. So before I go into what psychological safety is, um, I'll tell you where it comes from. So Google ran a two-year study, and, um, and they called it Project Aristotle. And after two years of really just investigating what makes a great team, mm. uh, they investigated a couple of teams, um, it's not the most intelligent people. It's not the most senior people. It's also not the people who make the least mistakes. That's not the, the signs or the attributes of, um, of high-performing teams. It's actually dependability. The team members can depend on one another. It is meaning. The work has meaning. There's clarity inside that team in terms of the roles that they play. And the work that they do matters. There's impact, and, and it creates change. That makes a high-performing team. But the first point that I want to make, and this was actually the most important attribute, was psychological safety. Yep. Yep. Like we said at the beginning, it's how working in that business makes you feel. Because yeah. at the end but of the day, per- perception is reality. Yeah, you're right. But I don't want people to think that psychological safety keynote is about everybody celebrating birthdays and everybody is very mm. happy and we sing Kumbaya. Um, of course, happiness is very, very important, but we, we are running businesses. Psychological safety, uh, and this comes from the Harvard professor that coined the phrase, is a belief that one will be punished or humiliated for speaking up, whether that is ideas or for speaking up because you've got questions, for speaking up because you've got concerns, for speaking up because you've made a mistake. That is psychological safety. If you don't feel safe to speak up, respected, um, that your authenticity matters, then you are not psychologically safe. And as leaders, we could, when, you, when you listen to that, you can realize, I am missing out on good ideas. I am missing out on picking up mistakes. I am missing out on questions that should be asked because my mm. employees are not feeling psychologically safe enough mm. to, to ask the question. People can be very, very motivated, whether with money or with yep. other intrinsic motivators, travel and learning. But if psychological safety is low, all you have is an anxious workforce, and an anxious workforce cannot operate optimally. You need high motivation 
and high psychological safety for you to have a high-performing team, high-performing employees, high-performing organization, growth, innovation, and all the good things that come from that. It's a dance, though. You also have habitual bitches and moaners. (laughs) Because as a leader, you have to obviously deal with them, right? But you get the employee that complains about everything. And sometimes upsets the culture. And But even then, a leader de- deals with that effectively. Now, we talk about leadership. You used to be in an HR position. I've asked you this before. Does HR also not need to, need to kick up the bum, Rose? Because how do we hire people? We still ask the same stupid questions. Okay, so sometimes we have to ask about their CVs to find out about the integrity and all of that and whether they actually have BCOMs. Um, so we need to know that. But we have no understanding of the human beings that we bring into our organization. We limit it to some stupid academic exercise in order to decide fitness to work within this particular environment. Yeah, um, and I think the, the answer is twofold. A lot of what we all, and it's not just HR functions or human capital functions or people functions, it's IT functions are the same, finance functions are the same, legal risks are the same. All we really had our eyes on is the primacy of the shareholder, making sure that shareholders are happy. And we still have what you call a factory model. People come to work, the best survives because they've got the best qualifications and the best experience, qualifications and experience, and they can make the best widgets. And we're starting to recognize now that emotional intelligence, emotional well-being, resilience in human beings, grit, is just as important as experience, is just as important as qualifications. Uh, The culture of an organization is just as important as whether it has a fantastic brand outside that you buy from. And those elements of what makes a good organization now Mm. is becoming more and more important, more and more game-changing and differentiating. So questions that need to be asked now are questions around um, are you an empathetic individual? Do you listen? Do you create strong relationships? Can you work well in a team? Whereas in old the days, uh, not too long ago, actually, it's about tell me your individual strengths. How many prizes have you won? Were you the school captain? Um, what are your qualifications? And how you experience? So, some of those things are important, of course, but it's not everything. And we're starting to realize that. But we are talking now yeah. about things that are psychology. Yeah, but I mean, uh, leaders... Or, or, or people in senior positions. I mean, let's not call everybody leaders, right? But what they don't realize, if you if you onboard people correctly, right, and you get the right people, and you're always going to have the right mix. So you're always going to have to do a little bit of firefighting here and there. But if you get if you, if you understand the people who work with you, and you understand where the touch points are and how you can better motivate them, other than just giving them money, and if you didn't want to, if if you, if you stop nitpicking and stopped looking over their shoulder, your job as a leader would be so damn easy. You should be feeling guilty that you're doing very little because your team is doing everything because they want to partly do it for you because you're allowing them to be who they are, in a sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. I want to quickly pick up on the point that you made around the people who moan for a living. Um, Mm. People who moan for a living do that, unfortunately, most of the time, not to be um, contributing, not to be not to not to add value, but actually to distract. Mm. 
mm. and to, to detract from value. And, mm. as, and as a leader and fellow employees or managers, you've got to be very, very aware of who actually um, creates traction inside your organization and who creates distraction. So psychological safety, and when I say people have the opportunity to complain, um, it is to complain with an outcome that says, I want to help this organization be better. If that is not your intent, you, you're generally not going to be, you're not going to be heard. That's, 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 I guess, the one thing I just wanted to say around that particular point. And, and yeah, you know, as leaders, um, if we, and, and I guess it, it, it's a self-reflection point, right? Because leaders, you were talking about this um, whole notion of in the trenches and you're using a war analogy. Mm. And the war analogy sometimes takes us down the wrong path because the war analogy puts us in a situation where we think and leaders believe that they have to be heroes. They have to have all the answers. They mm. must know what the next steps are. Mm. And in fact, now... Organizations are too big. There are too many other people. People are much more diverse. You need more voices. You need more eyes. You need more ears who are at the coalface that can really tell you what is going on because those are the people that engage with your customers mm. and with your other employees. So a leader's role now, mm. in my mind, is to be less of a hero. Heroism is needed at sometimes, but to be more of a host. And a host is someone that allows for collaboration spaces for different voices to be heard. I like that. But if we had generals that were leaders, we'd probably have very different different defense forces. Yes. <laughs> right. It's always a pleasure chatting to you.